My name is Sam Jenks, and welcome to another episode of The Way We Source, a podcast hosted by Kodiak Hub, where we share our talks with procurement practitioners, procure tech leaders, experts, consultants, content gurus, and people that we find downright inspiring, diving into the role that procurement and sourcing plays in the way that we live. If you like today's episode, make sure to give the program a like, follow, subscribe, and also today, I think that uh, you will definitely like today's content because we have the pleasure of hosting a passionate procurement leader, influencer, someone who also has practitioner experiences from business for this like co-op, Clarks, and currently serving as the head of procurement and properties at Bibby Financial Services, somebody that we've been trying to get on the show for quite some time now. We're very happy to welcome Tom Mills. Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here, and thanks for that really kind introduction. I've never thought of myself as an influencer before, but I'll I'll go with it. Well, I think that you should start thinking of yourself as one for sure. Uh, welcome to the show. We we want to start with a question that uh, we typically ask a lot of our guests, and it's a little bit of a softball. But I'm curious and understanding from your side, what exactly does procurement and sourcing mean to you, Tom? Okay, so for me, it's the lifeblood of the business because if you think about the profit and loss of an account. Ultimately, it comes down to what's your cost base. And then if you think about the return on investment, it's how powerful is your supplier relationships. Mm. So I know there's a lot of focus generally around sales and what businesses can do to generate profit that way. But if you haven't got the sourcing strategy right and you're not dealing with the right suppliers to deliver the momentum, then effectively you're not going to be effective business. So I think it's an underrated but critical element of any business. And that's why I love it. That we do as well. I think a lot of our listeners would 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 agree with that as well. As an advocate and spokesperson for this new age of procurement, as people can be able to follow you on LinkedIn, I would urge anyone that's listening to do so as Tom is a real influencer and has some awesome content there. How exactly do you believe that other procurement experts can actively work to improve the image and what I like to call the brand of procurement? Do you have any concrete tips for any practitioners out there that are looking to do so? That's a great question. And it's something you'll see that I'm really passionate about. I do think that we need to really um, challenge some of our old ways of thinking. I think a lot of the time, procurement profession is kind of bogged down by old school thinking, by frameworks which were kind of developed in the 1990s. There's lots of kind of professional qualifications out there, like, for example, SIPs, etc., which are all good. They give good grounding. But really what procurement needs to do is to embed itself within businesses, understand the dynamics and the trends that are going on right now, and actually um, start promoting how we can deliver value to deliver what businesses need to do today. So I'll give a couple of tangible examples of that. Think about the importance of environmental, social and governance goals in the 2023. Um, Think about the importance of dealing with things like uh, cybersecurity risks and um, all all of the risk management around the supply chain that's going to be really crucial, particularly in Europe. And actually, procurement has a critical role there. The danger is if we just keep on talking about the same things that we were 20 years ago, it will just not be relevant. So that's tip number one. Tip number two would be we need to promote ourselves out there and we need to be more visual and visible um, right. to in the business world. I think there's been a shyness about procurement in the past whereby um, it's almost like we're kind of apologetic for our existence. Um, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous, really, because as if you think about my answer to the first question, we're the lifeblood of business. We 
have a powerful role and I think we shouldn't be shy sure. about promoting that. So really passionate about that. And that's one of the reasons that I was determined to be active on LinkedIn. And I'm, I encourage anyone who is and is sending out the right messages. So it's really important. Why, why exactly do you think that procurement becomes this apologetic role player? I mean, <sighs> it's so strange because within the, within the context of the role itself, it's a rather powerful role, as you said holding global spend, making a lot of impact within the global value chain. Why is it that they become kind of, how would I say, lesser than? Yeah, do you know, that's a great question. And I'm not convinced I've got a succinct answer to that, but I've got a couple of <laughs> hypotheses. Um, yeah, for, that, that, firstly, that's all we want to hear is your hypotheses, yeah. Tom. <laughs> exactly. what's, what's the world without being able to speculate, you know? Exactly. So my speculation is that procurement is never seen as sexy because um, – Sales is what generates at the first point a kind of momentum around return on investment. What right. people don't really under or underestimate is the fact that very often it's because we've got an effective CRM or an effective um, kind of creative agency or an effective sourcing strategy that has delivered the platform for the sales teams to be able to operate. So I think there's almost a hidden element to procurement in the role. Um, mm. Secondly, I wonder whether sometimes procurement haven't helped themselves. So I think there's two sides to procurement. There's the the new age, I don't know if that's the right word, but kind of the, the procurement professionals who really want to promote better ways of working. But then there's quite right. an old school image. There's a lack of diversity in procurement and there's a real kind of um, reluctance to change. So I think that perhaps we've not helped ourselves in terms of our image, um, both within professional organizations, but also outwardly in terms of the way we we network. And just as an example of that, I've realized through the power of building um, a network on LinkedIn, how powerful it is when you start talking and engaging with other procurement individuals and how you can learn right. from others. But I don't feel that in the world of um, procurement prior to sort of 2020, many people networked. It was almost like we were really secretive about what we were doing and who, which suppliers we were working with. It was almost like a code of confidentiality, which was almost holding us back. So, Would it be yeah. fair to, to maybe even call it a little bit of a boys club at that yeah. certain point? Yeah. 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 Um, I hate that. I'm, I mean, I really thrive and I welcome diverse environments. Um, and I think um, it's obviously going to vary. It's going to vary in organization. It's going to vary depending on what country you're in. But I can tell you now, I still feel that there's a really um, old school kind of um, middle-aged, what, what gray, white-haired, male kind of dominated mm. um, kind of image. Now, whether that's true or just a perception, is it's, it's hard to validate. But you can see some of the statistics out there. Um, it's um, certainly lagging behind as a function in terms of diversity. So one of the things that I want to promote is getting young, new talent into the um, business and to realize that actually procurement is a really great role to be in. Um, so lots to do. Totally agree with you. And I think that that segues really nicely into kind of a, the next theme that I'd love to talk about with you because there's procurement and then there's procurement, right? It could look very different in organization to organization. And you've had that kind of contrast in your roles and your organizations you've worked in. You've worked in a diverse set of yeah. organizations and a diverse set of industries as well as 
indirect and direct procurement teams. You have 10 plus uh, years of experience in direct buying at businesses like Co-op and the Hut Group, and you have an extensive knowledge of buying at consumer brands and then 10 years experience in indirect buying. I'm curious from your side, what exactly is the biggest difference between this age old, you know, dichotomy direct versus indirect? Oh, it's, it, it, do you know what? While there's um, intrinsic um, likenesses, when you think about things like negotiating, the biggest difference is the importance of influencing. So in mm. indirect buying, your primary role or your success is defined by how effective you are at influencing the internal stakeholders to deliver good procurement. So effectively, you're training teams in how to buy. Whereas in direct buying, you have technically all of the control over the decisions. So w- why I think it's worked out well for me from a career point of view is that I learned all my lessons of negotiation, of building contracts, of delivering supplier collaboration directly. But then that gave me the experience and the credibility to be able to build that framework in the indirect world. So I would encourage people to think about both career options, but not be shy from um, kind of amalgamating the two. I think that there's there's a definite crossover between direct and indirect. What I would say is um, there's such a huge difference and what defines you in indirect buying will be how good you are at getting people on side, delivering good internal relationships. and effectively, you've got to be more rounded as an individual, I think, in indirect than you have in direct. Okay. So. Very interesting. Do you think that you can draw any, you know, concrete experiences that you had from your direct side uh, or the indirect side to help out one or the other? I, you you said just now that you believe that it makes you it, it made you more well rounded when you switched over to the indirect slide from having that. Was there anything concrete that you would say that you took with took with you? Yeah, do you know what? The most powerful relationships I built were probably with the um, strategic suppliers that I dealt with. So, for example, in my time at the co-op, I um, I built a really important, good strategic partnership with Coca-Cola. Now, that might sound obvious, but when you're a soft drink buyer of the (laughs) leading convenience um, kind of store in the UK it's really and and, and you're effectively Coca-Cola's biggest distributor of 500 mil coke there's an obvious symbiotic relationship which needs to work but what I realized was that it's it's not all about price it was about what can Coca-Cola deliver for us in terms of the merchandising the fixtures the the kind of the the refrigeration etc but also um what we can do for them to promote, for example, MPD, etc. So yeah. what that learned, uh, taught me was the importance of del- delivering a kind of um, really collaborative approach with suppliers. Similarly, in the Hut Group, um, there was a real shortage of, um, I'm going too technical here, but I'll be, I'll be brief. We, 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 love, we love the technical, embrace okay. the mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So whey protein isolate, which is effectively the, 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 um, the premium content of any protein powder. So one of the, my roles at the Hut Group was heading up the purchasing for the My Protein um, division, and there was a real um, lack of um, supply. So it was really important to deliver a good risk framework to make sure that we had continuity, but also to develop a really good collaborative partnership with a couple of critical partners. 
the reason I mentioned those two points were, um, I think there's a tendency, particularly when you start out in the buying world, to think, right, I've just got to be this hard, brutal negotiator, and it's all about right. cost, and it's all about delivering uh, the, the quick savings, etc. What I took from those experiences was the importance and an understanding of building good, solid foundations of relationships mm. with suppliers. So flipping that into the indirect buying world, then I can recognize why um, if a stakeholder is looking to drive value rather than cost, then we need to look at the whole shape of the deal. And actually, I can also recognize the importance of delivering strategic relationship management to a business, not just from a point of view of the value that it adds, but also in terms of um, mitigating risk. So I think there's a definite crossover there. And I'd say my experience of direct buying has left me a deeper understanding of the importance of good supplier relationships. Fantastic tips. And I love the anecdotes as well. I'm sure that our listeners will be able to draw some nuggets out of those that they can see themselves. But it is important to also understand that you can have those strategic relationships in the indirect space. It's so often that the strategic key suppliers sit within the direct categories and indirect is seen as the managers of the tail, right? But there, there is opportunities to be able to take those same approaches. So super good insights. When you were working in an organization like co-op, I'd love to, to dig into that in just some, for just a moment. <clears throat> I'm sure that you learned a massive amount, as you've also already mentioned here, uh, 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 but you also learned the ins and outs of a huge, a truly enterprise and global supply chain. How has that experience compared to the smaller organizations, maybe also the one that you're in today, kind of compared or prepared you uh, in your career? Well, that's a great question. Um, and I think that I'll answer that by saying what the fundamental difference is. I guess the fundamental difference is that when you're working in a big organization like the co-op, you've got you've almost got several layers of protection around the responsibility on decision making. So right. um yeah, of course you might feel like you have power, but you've got obviously a big hierarchy and a big internal structure and lots of bureaucracy. Now I'm not trying to say that the co-op wasn't fast at making decisions, but you could almost um, you, you had all the protection, you had all the legal resource, you had all of the elements that you needed to be able to to kind of protect you. Within a smaller organisation, for example, within Bibi Financial Services, where I work currently, there's, there's, there's literally two or three key decision makers and you've got to be very um, clear and also take responsibility. And there's, I guess there's nowhere to hide. So with that um, comes a great deal of um, responsibility but also it's more exciting because you feel like you have more power to influence the decisions if that makes sense yeah peter park what, what, what is the spider-man's uncle says with great responsibility great power comes with great responsibility with great responsibility it. comes with great power one of the two but i understand then kind of the the difference that you're a little bit more isolated in the one context but it, it's 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 also nice to have the experience from both contexts it sounds like for you yeah, and I would say that the professional grounding that I got in the in that larger organization has stood me in good stead. And I've spoken to several individuals who feel the same. When you're actually in a business where you've got that professional grounding, I mean, I, my, the training that I received at that first company was, um, well, I look back and I think, wow, they truly invested in people. I mean, the amount of negotiation courses I went on, for example. Um, mm. Now, I feel like I was, I was trained within an inch of my life. <laughs> um, but but all of that now means that I can draw on those experiences and actually um, 
use it in a, an advantageous way and bring that power of that experience to small organizations. So, yeah, I don't think there's any wrong or right in terms of how you should start your career because obviously great um, great freedom in starting out in a small business. But I think for me it's worked out well because it's given me the professional grounding and the confidence to be able to then apply the same kind of professional training in smaller environments that perhaps need it more. And that segues perfectly into a topic that I'd love to talk to you about because you have been at the the starting point and the, the brink, uh, the, the 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 nucleus of a few organizations and procurements. With that, you I'm sure have encountered a, a great amount of challenges, a great amount of learnings, a great amount of successes. But the things that you've done along the way that have prepared you to be a part of the starting journey for procurement teams, but could you share with us some of those challenges, learnings, and successes as well that you've encountered when trying to build up new procurement organizations? Yeah, do you know, um, it's what I love to do. So I could talk about this for ages, but I'll... Um, please, I'll, please I'll, do. Uh, our, our, listener, our listeners have the time, Tom. Oh, great, great. So, um, you know, <laughs> this is probably a whole podcast in itself, but reality is I, um, I, I think the... The answer to the key challenges is um, normally when you come into an organization, you, you kind of have an assumed knowledge of uh, or, or an assumption of what what should be there. And it always surprises me just what isn't. So um, mm. I'm not going to be specific here because I don't want to protect, I want to protect confidentiality of the business I work with. But you might assume that people have standard visibility of their contracts for suppliers. But it always surprises me how how few businesses even deal with that in a coordinated way. So I think um, don't underestimate one of the tips I'd give is don't underestimate the importance of building the foundations and literally basic common sense steps to make sure that you've got some visibility and control. Um, The other challenge is around data. I think data is the game changer for a successful procurement department, but but often, um, even if you look at the way the purchase ledgers are set up and the way that businesses deal with data in the business, they're very much focused on an accountancy view, but they're not mm. focused on a, um, okay, these are our supplier relationships. So the most important thing that I do when it, within any organization when I join is I look to understand the data as quickly as possible. And I've always said, and this is probably a bit of a, a, a tangent, but perhaps the most important role within any procurement team is a procurement analyst. You know, give me someone who can um, really get to grips with the data and really challenge it and really try and, try and spot trends, et cetera. And that is the power, the superpower to decision-making. Um, and then the other thing that I'd say is um, the importance of influencing. And for me, influencing isn't going out there and telling people why they should involve procurement. It's actually the opposite. It's, going out there and understanding what people's pressure points are, what do they need, where where are their pain points of their supply base, what are they worried about next year, what are the big investments that they want to, to get involved in. And um, one of the things that I'm very clear on when I start off in an organisation, and I know this might sound stereotypical, but have a 90-day plan and stick to it and make right. sure that you build, um, use those 90 days to listen and understand the organisation you're working in. Um, I will say there's something hugely liberating and powerful about building a procurement environment from scratch. Because of course, in many ways, of course. Yeah, you can leave you can leave behind any kind of preconceptions that you've you've had a procurement. And you obviously you can challenge um, 
and adapt ways of working to the business that you're working in. So I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all approach to procurement. And I think you've got to be mindful of where is the business that you're working right now in terms of the journey? What do they need most importantly? And what what mm. elements of risk are most important? So, um, you know, back to the point around what procurement needs to do, we need to be more adaptable in our approach. There isn't one mm. solid framework which has to be applied across all businesses. And I think that can be a dangerous assumption that procurement individuals make. So uh, I, I absolutely love um, kind of building from scratch. That said, you know, sometimes be aware that you'll be frustrated. There'll be lots of times where you think, oh, my goodness, what? What is this person doing? Or oh, I can't believe we haven't got this in place. Just building the foundations and being very careful and progressive in terms of what you do, you will get there. And I think it's important that you map out the journey. So I always have built a, a, a kind of maturity model, which says, right, three-year plan, year one, we're setting the foundation, year two, we're establishing, year three, we're optimizing, and then breaking that down in terms of what does that mean in terms of processes systems team training etc and when you start ticking those off you realize actually you can make progress it's that whole thing of how do you eat an elephant one bit at a time and i think yeah um not that i advocate eating elephants but my point is that i i think that sometimes you can get quite bogged down and i quite like the structured approach of just ticking things off um so yeah as you can see i love it i, I love it I can tell that you're enthusiastic. It's fantastic concrete tips. You hit on some super important things there. People, process, and technology, those are the things that are going to get you to your goal. And it requires, of course, a special individual, which you obviously are, to be able to start a new organization. But the thing that I think was interesting that you said is asking yourself, am I good enough? What I've experienced is typically people that are reflecting in that particular way are, in fact, good enough. I'm curious uh, about the element of the people, right? Because you you touched a little bit on the process and the technology. And I know that you're a big advocate for talent in this procurement space. What exactly is the correct type of talent and competency that you think is important in a procurement organization, but most, most especially within an organization that is starting out? Wow. Uh, great question. I'm going to... Um... I'm 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 going to have to think about that for a second. Let, let, let me just pause because that's fundamental. Curiosity. You've got to have someone who's got a really curious mm. um, mindset. So someone who is prepared to come into an organization and to take the time to understand, but is also open to looking at options. I mentioned earlier about not being rigid or stuck into a framework. Um, I... I've noticed within some individuals that they're very much like, well, this is what the textbook says. This is what the SIPS textbook says. This is how we're going to do it. This is a project <laughs> matrix we're going to apply. Yeah. And you know what? Um, I think those people are set up to fail. I think it's about having a curious mindset and being adaptable. Um, the other thing is I think you've got to have a kind of um, basic commerciality. And I know that that might sound obvious when you're working in business, but I'm always surprised by how many procurement individuals I, I, I work with who are almost afraid to negotiate or, um, or, 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 or don't think about things in terms of, right, what does this mean for the organization in terms of the profit? What are, what are we actually delivering in terms of return on investment? 
Right, because it's so focused on the bottom line, you you lose sight of the top, you know? You lose sight of revenue. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that um, procurement has um, become stuck in the past in terms of a framework of looking for savings, but not appreciating the importance of return on investment. So for me, I'm, I'm much less interested in, oh, I delivered a 20 grand saving on this supplier versus actually we've brought in this new supplier. It's a new investment, but this is what it's going to hit and deliver in year one, year two, and then being able to yeah. create some metrics around that. Um, the, the, the third thing that I would look for in, a, in, in a, anyone sort of joining the team is, is, is a real kind of um, ability to network both internally within the business, but also a, a, an interest in networking outside. So whether that's with procurement professionals, whether that's with suppliers, You've got to be wanting to be out there. So many procurement individuals that I work with, they get stuck in their kind of organization and they think that that's their right. entire world. Um, I want people who are curious and 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 open to networking too. Great tips. When you're building a new organization, it's not just the people. You hit on it yourself. It's the people outside the business, your supplier base. What is it that you look for in a supplier base and or uh, how is it that you search for, for a supplier base or, or get control of a supplier base when you're starting from scratch? Yeah. Do you know what? So where any organization you work in will have um, a, a pre-existing supply base anyway. Of course. So it's less about searching for a new supply base it's more about what what sources of information do you use to be able to verify and validate that supply base and and there's obviously a lot of resources out there paid or unpaid resources to look at where certain supplies sit on the quadrant um you can pick gartner for example is is one um it doesn't um mean that you should always for example when you're looking at a supplier quadrant look to the top right in terms of oh, i want that i want the premium supplier in this area it's thinking about what suits the organization in terms of the right size i think sometimes uh, a big mistake organizations make is they almost get caught in that ego trap of oh we've got to get our we've got to invest our suite with microsoft or with success factors for hr systems because right. they're the pre they're the premier option and that means that we're we're doing a good job and they miss the fact that sometimes very often the tier two suppliers can be more innovative, more adaptable, and they can build a more collaborative relationship. So what I look for is what's the fit of that supplier versus the organization that we're working in. Um, and obviously, um, this is where uh, a procurement process can be really powerful because if you go through a full structured requirements for, uh, sorry, a request for invest- information, an RFI or an RFP process, then you can start to build a long list and a short list and start to make sure that you've got the best best information. So I'm trying not to speak in acronyms, by the way, Sam. So that's why I'm... <laughs> Trust me, everybody Everybody that's listening loves acronyms. So don't yeah, worry about that. Yeah. Do you know, there's a point there. There's a whole different question. I think there's a power of language because one of the mm. things that procurement teams do internally quite often is they will switch stakeholders off by talking in procurement speak all the time. So one of the things I'm an advocate of is explaining things. I've been in a room of people in the past where I've mentioned the word RFP and I've seen immediately half the people have switched off because they don't understand what an RFP is. Now, right. for the likes of you and me, that's really obvious, but 
you know, why don't we just explain it? Why don't we just talk about it in terms of it's a competitive tender process? We're going to choose supplier options from from a bunch of options, that type of thing. So, yeah. Well, it's looking at it not by trying to dumb it down by the terminology and say as few a few letters as possible. It's trying yeah. to instead understand what is the end goal of the RFP, which is to deliver, yeah. to deliver a better, better value to the business. I agree with you entirely. And it is these things, it's language and communication that can so easily help or hurt a, a brand. Yeah, exactly. Um, you'll notice it with IT teams, of course. They're the masters at... Um, acronyms yeah um but um you know it, uh, i i get it i think that back to my point on um diversity and inclusion don't underestimate how acronyms can actually end up creating quite an exclusive club because yeah. if people don't understand what you're talking about then you're almost creating a kind of a professional barrier to say oh you you don't understand that acronym you're not part of the uh procurement world therefore you don't get it, and 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 that's the way to kind of um, destroy relationships. Great insights. I, I thank you so much for sharing so many awesome. You you've been very vulnerable with your your experience and and sharing with today's uh, insights with our listeners. One last question: What exactly do you, if you could think about one or two things that you wish that you knew at the beginning of your career that you now know today? What would you say? Oh, wow. Oh, I've written a post about this. I'm, I'm tempted to go, 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 go back and, and, and read it out, but I won't. Um, this has to be an instinctive answer, doesn't it? Right. Um, do you know what? Number one, um, I talked a lot about data, but trust your instincts. Very often, if something doesn't feel right, it inevitably isn't. And mm-hmm. the amount of times I look back at my career and I think, Oh, that supplier decision we made, it doesn't feel right. Or that offer, there's something in the numbers that doesn't add up. And then I've kind of realized, like, almost every time my instinct was right. So trust your instinct is the number one. Mm. Um, the number two thing I've realized, and I think this this is perhaps only something you can really gain confidence with, with, with perhaps age, is to just not get involved in politics within an organisation. Procurement is super powerful when we are objective, fair, consistent, and um, all about delivering quality. The moment you start thinking about, oh, yeah, but uh, that the COO really wants to deal with this supplier and I'm worried I'm going to upset them because then not only are you less powerful, but also you're less respected within an organisation. So I think... More recently than ever, that's become my superpower in terms of I'm completely agnostic of any politics within a business. And um, I I think that's so important. Um, And I'm going to give you a third one, but I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to ponder this because it's got to be the third best. Um, I think don't... um, be so focused on cost savings, focus on total value. So um, start of my career, it was all about, oh, you know, almost comparing. Um, it was almost like a competition um, of who, who, who could deliver the biggest savings. Um, and that, that's relevant in a buying career, perhaps more than indirect. 
focus all your attention on what's going to deliver the best value to the organization. And the value can be measured in many ways, including things like sustainability, risk, um, good governance, good processes, good supplier relationships. I'm not saying that cost savings isn't a metric, but make sure you focus all of your attention on total value and you'll get uh, a far bigger bang for your buck, but also you'll be far, far more welcomed within the organization. I feel like this is an episode filled with total value. So I thank you for that, Tom. And I would be remiss without ending this episode without our users being able to not just get to know Tom Mills, the procurement guru, but also Tom Mills, the man behind the guru. I would love to get in some quick fire questions. One word, one sentence answers from your side, just so we get to know you as a person a little bit more deeply rather than just uh, on the topic of procurements. You ready to get into it? Yeah, a bit nervous, but go for it. <laughs> Don't be. Mac or PC? Uh, PC. I took you for a PC guy, so I'm, I'm not that yeah. surprised by that answer. All right. You <laughs> that have a probably book says or... I'm a bit old school, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It means that you're probably an Excel whiz. That's what I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> book or podcast you could be able to recommend for our listeners? Oh, wow. Podcast. Not not related to um, procurement, but Dan Carlin, Hardcore History. Um, unbelievable. Uh, he, he just talks about history in a way that just brings it to life. And I think um, it's probably the best podcast out there. Cool. Tomorrow, you're going on a vacation, all expenses paid. Where are you heading? Oh, vacation, all expenses paid. I'm going to say Costa Rica because it's where I'm going this year on holiday anyway. It's somewhere I've not been to yet, but I've looked it up. If you look at the diversity of kind of nature, the weather, um, I think the um, kind of somewhere that's completely different to somewhere I've been before. So I'm kind of saying that without any kind of um, experience of going there, but that's what I'm excited about. Our colleague, Laura Chavirez from uh, Costa Rica. She's our impact data manager. She is going to love to hear that as your response. So, 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 so pretty much you're looking for somebody to pay off the trip that yeah. you've now already paid off. It, yeah. it, exactly. We've just made that <laughs> typical thing of, oh, it's a January. We need to book a holiday. And then you realize that you actually haven't got many funds left in your banks because you've just basically <laughs> <laughs> paid for it. So, yeah, but yeah. really looking forward to it. And, I, and, and having done the research, it sounds like a great destination. I think it will be a fantastic time, just as fantastic as we've had on today's episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to be able to chat and share so many insightful nuggets with our listeners. Tom, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or learn more about what you're doing, where could they do so? So um, thanks for that. I've really enjoyed this show, firstly, um, and it's been great to meet you through this. But uh, two things I'd say, um, please follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I love building my community there and I've got great uh, followers. I post every every day at 7.15 UK time. Um, secondly, um, I've got a Procure Bytes Substack. Um, Substack is a phenomenal way of reaching a community in a different way. So I write twice a week on that. It's called Procure Bytes. It's author Tom Mills. Look me up. You can subscribe for free. I also have a premium option whereby um, people get access twice a month to premium articles where I share really deep insights that help help people on their procurement career. So LinkedIn or Procure Bytes. I have started out on Twitter, but I'm not sure about Twitter at the moment. So yeah, just just go go to my LinkedIn and find me on Procure Bytes. 
I'm not sure if Twitter is sure about Twitter at the moment, but uh, no, no. You, you heard the man find on procurement bites or, or add you or follow on LinkedIn as well as a great way yeah. to get in touch. Fantastic. Yes. Thank you so much for your time today, Tom. It was an awesome episode and we look forward. Should we have an MVP or a encore of having you back on the show in the future as well? I'd love to be part of it. Just hook me up. <laughs> it sounds great. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like the content, make sure to give us five stars and follow the podcast.